This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We work really hard and we care a lot about the products we make and it kind of is what we're saying it is. We're just coming to work every day trying to put out a good product that's hopefully making a dent in this kind of demand that's out there right now. I just want to make sure that at this point as a society we don't we have this demand and that's like a precious thing there's this Mm -hmm. people want to eat better and every day we come to work and go all right how do we make sure as a society we don't squander this demand welcome to the real reel where i take you behind the instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs content creators and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too i'm your host natalie barbu and let's get into it Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. Uh, today's episode, I am interviewing probably my mom's favorite guest. <laughs> I talk about that a lot in this episode, but I am interviewing Kevin, who is the founder of Kevin's Natural Food. I'm so excited to be interviewing him because I am obsessed with Kevin's Natural Food. If you guys have shopped at Whole Foods, Publix, honestly, any like really large grocery store, you've probably seen Kevin's natural food. And it's because it is really like healthy. I'm pretty sure it's paleo friendly, natural food that is refrigerated. And you just like put it on your stovetop and you add the sauce to it and you can cook like rice or pasta or whatever else you want on the side. And it's such delicious meals. And whenever I cook it by myself, I always have at least one additional meal. Like it serves like two to three people. So It's really good for people that live alone and it's so delicious. I have been eating it for the past like year or so I've been purchasing it. And then my mom definitely is the one that got me hooked onto it. So we don't talk necessarily about like health benefits in this episode. We talk about business. I wanted to know how he got Kevin's Natural Food to be what it is. They make like $400 million in revenue. They're estimated to reach $150 million in sales And their very first quarter in business, they had $4.5 million in sales. So I wanted to know his secret. I wanted to know his tips being an entrepreneur and especially in the consumer space and the food space. I wanted to know how he got this business running because so many people that listen to this podcast are aspiring entrepreneurs or you guys are entrepreneurs and you want to know the behind the scenes of building a business. And so I asked the nitty gritty questions to Kevin. So Kevin in his 20s actually battled a severe autoimmune disorder and it put him in the hospital. So after a lot of research, he switched to a clean diet that was rich in whole foods and avoided refined sugar, which ultimately cured his condition. And so that experience sparked Kevin's natural food, but it didn't happen right away. There were a lot of years in between. And so I really wanted to understand his thought process of why he started it, why he decided to leave marketing and become a founder, how he built and grew this business. 
And it's just an amazing conversation. So I know that you guys will really, really like it. And now when you go to Whole Foods or your local grocery store and you see it, you're going to remember this episode. So I'm very excited to have Kevin on the show. And I'm just very excited to have interviewed someone that I like genuinely love and use their product. I always think that's so cool. I literally texted my mom and I was like, mom, guess who I'm interviewing on my podcast? And she told me to tell him that she loves his food. So (laughs) always open to, you know, any PR packages, anything like that. (laughs) But anyways, I don't want to ramble in this intro because this episode is a little bit lengthy. And so I want to leave the floor to Kevin. But if you guys do enjoy this episode, please be sure to give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also rate it on Spotify now. So be sure to do that. And before we get into the episode... I do want to shout out the reviewer of the week. So this reviewer of the week comes from Maddie and she said, amazing podcast. Natalie is so grounded and real. Each episode is so fun and insightful. Love, love, love. Thank you so much, Maddie, for reviewing my podcast. If you guys want to be the reviewer of the week, please be sure to review five stars on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot to me. It helps my podcast get discovered and we're almost at a thousand reviews. We have 922 reviews so far. So Let's get it to a thousand and I would love to recognize you as the reviewer of the week. And if you are listening, screenshot this, share on social media. That really helps my podcast grow. But like I said, I don't want to continue rambling. So without further ado, let's welcome Kevin to the show. Hello, Kevin. Thank you for coming on my podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. I know we said this before we started officially recording, but I always eat Kevin's natural food. Like I am always having that as my meal, especially when I go home to visit my family. But even here, like whenever I go to the grocery store, I buy it because it's just so easy to make. And when you're someone that's busy, it's like very nutritious and good and filling and incredibly easy. So I was really excited about this episode. Oh, that makes my day. Thank you so much. That's the goal. How do we make this easier? It seems like everybody you talk to has a packed schedule for one reason or another. And that's what kind of got us motivated with this company is there's so many people that want to eat better, right? Mm -hmm. But executing that is really difficult day to day. So the general idea was, could we make some products that help people pull it off? So I'm happy to hear that it's, it's helping you. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And before we get into the topics, I like to start with setting the record straight. So that's where I'll say some like stereotypes, assumptions, you let me know if they're true or false and kind of your take on it. So the first one is that a lot of the food that's marketed as healthy is not actually healthy. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, you know, well, health in general is there's just been a lot of debate over what's healthy and what's not and where do you get your information and what do you believe. But In general, the good news is people in the general market and the industry have kind of coalesced around some key points that are very important. Sugar is bad. Try to get away from highly processed ingredients and harmful fats. There's a lot of disagreements in there, you know, in that little box. But I would say in general, at least there is kind of broad consensus agreement, even in the food industry, that refined sugar is bad. And, and, you know, folks are are still kind of having the fat debate, but at least like the hydrogenated soybean oils and trans fats, there's a general consensus that we all want to avoid those. Now for us, we're trying to set the bar much, much higher than that, but it is good that that's progress in the food. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think more and more people are becoming aware of that as well. I think in the past few years, people have become just more health conscious versus, you know, in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, like it was like no fat processed food that was, you know, considered healthy, which we are away from that. And also with grocery stores like Whole Foods and Thrive Market online or, you know, just things that are trying to, I guess, places that more health conscious people can shop at, I think, Mm. is making it a little bit better. But yeah, I definitely agree. There's just so much information that it's hard to decipher what's actually true and what's false, because you can always find something that contradicts, you know, one statement. Yeah, for sure. But I think at the end of the day, we've because of some of the key players that you've mentioned, we have grown as a society by leaps and bounds in that area. Now we know a little bit better about what to do. Now, how do we do it day to day? Exactly. And the next one is that if you build a good product or create a good product, people will come. You know, that's only true to a certain extent. I think that we'd be very surprised at how many good products never make it to the marketplace. And it's either because they were too expensive or they didn't have, you know, in the food space, they didn't have the shelf life or distribution model that would work out. So I think that that is cost of entry in a space like ours where it's really crowded and there's a lot of really bright folks, uh, motivated people doing a lot of really interesting things. It takes that, but then we used to use the analogy of like a minefield. It's like you have your good idea and it's like you're carrying it through the minefield, trying not to get blown up by uh, being too expensive or, or not having the shelf life you need or not having the right packaging or the right people to pull it off. So I'd say that there's a, a little bit more to it than having something really good. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, I love talking to other entrepreneurs and just hearing about their go to market, how people found you. So we'll dive into that in a little bit. But I think definitely like there's so many good products out there. And it is a shame when they don't necessarily make it. But I want to talk to you about, you know, how Kevin's Natural Foods actually got out into the hands of customers in a little bit. And the next one is that there are certain traits that every founder needs to have. You know, that's a tough one. I think, you know, having met a number of founders over the years, there's so many folks and they're they're so different. And a lot of the strengths among the folks that I've met are vastly different as well. So that is tricky. Now that you say that, there are a few that I could think of that you have to have very thick skin. I've never met anybody that started a company that hasn't had a strong work ethic that those need to happen. And then you have to have a In my experience, everybody I've talked to has had some kind of larger objective. You know, some Mm -hmm. of them have been really noble. Some of them have been really business oriented, financially driven, but there's always something kind of bigger than the idea itself that they're aiming at. So I could say just off the top of my head, those are a few things where I have noticed a common thread, even though, you know, all the founders I've met in, in my life have been different in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. And you just have to be, I think, persistent because you might think in the beginning like, oh, everything's going to be, you know, I'll launch and then customers will come and then everything will be great because I have such a great product. But there's so many up and downs and there are so many low points or so many, you know, little mini failures along the journey. So you have to be incredibly persistent, I think. Like you just like can't give up. (laughs) Persistence, is that's a great one. Yeah, because a lot of the rewards for the work come way later. (laughs) And you can only see glimpses of the progress along the way. And sometimes you go a pretty big stretch without getting that positive reinforcement that keeps you coming back every day. So you definitely have to be persistent. I like that one. 
let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces inner pair split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today, as it should, with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. And what were you doing before you started Kevin's Natural Foods? Were you in the food industry or the health industry? Yeah, I started actually in marketing. The health focus came from when I got sick. I had an autoimmune disorder in my 20s that was just really disruptive to my life. I was in and out of the hospital for six years and the doctors couldn't find essentially a way to mitigate this autoimmune disorder from flaring up frequently and putting me back in the hospital and having to be heavily medicated to tamp down my immune system. 
I found the paleo diet as a uh, solve that ended up really helping me. I switched to kind of grain-free, no dairy, no soy, no legumes. And that really worked for me. And that kind of got me on this health path and made me very passionate about health and fitness, particularly the paleo diet and that way of eating. That happened independent of work. So I studied marketing and got into marketing in the supermarket industry. And I, before I got into manufacturing, I was at a, a retailer, Save Martin Lucky Supermarkets out here in California, met uh, Dan Costa, who's the co-founder of uh, Kevin's. And he's actually the one who recruited me into food manufacturing, introduced me to this world. And then we founded the company together. And so a little bit of luck with who you meet along the path. But once I found food manufacturing and this whole idea of creating products at scale and how many people you could reach, that's really what opened my eyes to how powerful it could be to help people change their mm -hmm. habits, improve their lives. Yeah. And when did you come up with the idea of actually starting this business? I know you said that you have a co-founder as well, but was it immediately after you got on the paleo diet and discovered that it actually really helped? Or how did Kevin's Natural Food form from the original idea to, you know, that light bulb where you're like, this is actually going to become a company? It came actually about 10 years later. So there was a long gap. When I first adopted the paleo diet, it was, I was single and in my 20s. It was remarkably easy actually for me to do because I didn't have a lot of other commitments. But life came at me and I got married and then started working more and then had kids, which is like the ultimate time game changer. It became harder to follow the diet. And so the insight mm -hmm. that emerged over time was, wow, if I have this outsized, you know, kind of abnormal reason to want to eat healthy or to need to eat healthy. And I'm still struggling to pull it off just because life is in the way and it's making it hard to meal prep and get ahead of things and stay on track. Then what about someone who is just trying to eat better for longevity? And they don't have like this illness that's extra motivation. It's like I had like all this extra motivation. And that question after I was in the food business um, started bouncing around in my head. And we started talking to dozens and dozens of people. We love focus groups. And we bring mm -hmm. people in weekly and started picking their brains about their eating habits and what shortcuts they were taking, what habits they were trying to improve. And it turned out that this was around the 2018 timeframe. It turned out that the general market, it didn't matter if they had some kind of unique situation like myself or they were just normal health status. They were struggling with the same challenges as I was and they wanted to improve. There was this kind of zeitgeist shift where people went from eating healthy was kind of a fringe thing. You know, you had some people going to the natural food stores to all right, now there's 600 Whole Foods across the country. It's, it's just normal. But people were struggling to pull it off. So that idea kind of emerged. And that happened in about 2018. And we became dead focused on, we wanted to make prepared foods, like pre-cooked foods that didn't taste like pre-cooked foods and that were healthy. Yeah. And we looked at the category at that point and we were like, wow, there's a lot of people doing this huge category, billions of dollars. But how do we pull this off? and make the products healthy and then make them taste like they weren't pre-cooked, like actually improve the quality by pre-cooking them. And that became the focus. And we stumbled on a bunch of things that were big aha moments. Like we stumbled on sous vide, which really helped us pre-cook the meat. And then we focused on making sauces that kind of paired with that. And there was this big kind of learning from the restaurant. I'll kind of explain this and then maybe pause for a sec. But we started looking at restaurants at that time. And everything in the fresh and frozen category, that's all pre-cooked food that you're essentially reheating at home. We saw the restaurants start to do a lot of pre-cooking. And they were using this method called sous vide where you vacuum pack the protein when it while it's raw. 
and then submerge it in a hot water bath at like set to the temperature you wanted the protein cooked to. So if you're cooking like a steak, medium rare, you'd set that water to 130. The water would cook the meat all the way through end to end, and it was ultra moist and ultra tender. We saw the restaurants starting to do this. It was the first time we actually saw the pre-cooking improve the quality of the meat. And we looked at what was happening inside the restaurant. The line cook would then take that steak, they'd get a pan nice and hot and put oil in the bottom of the pan. They'd sear each side, get some browning on the pan. Then they'd add a sauce to the pan and deglaze the pan with the sauce and incorporate it with the meat. That whole process would take like four minutes. So we had this big aha moment where we said, wow, maybe we could do what the restaurants are doing. We could do the sous vide in the factory. We could develop these sauces and make the recipes clean and achieve a certain level of our health standards that we wanted to meet and then turn the consumer into the line cook. And they could actually pan sear the meat in three to four minutes, deglaze it with the sauce, and we could actually pull this thing off. So that's how the initial concept kind of came to be. Yeah, well, I mean, I can say that also having to actually cook it like on the stove and pour the sauce in yourself, it also like feels a bit more satisfying because you're like, okay, I'm not just like popping something in the microwave. And I don't know, like, I know that's stupid to say, but like, it does feel like, okay, I'm actually cooking something today. Or like, if you're having friends over and you want to make it, it's like, you're actually putting a little bit more effort, but it only takes five minutes. So it's still the same time as microwaving it, but it feels healthier. And obviously it is healthier, but it also feels like you're actually doing the act of cooking, which Mm -hmm. I just think makes people like myself want to share it with others in a way. And like, I don't want to necessarily always cook like a microwave meal if my friends come over or something like that. We think that was one of the keys to success that we actually didn't predict on the front end. We were really confident that the quality would be good adopting that format because we had you know, done so much R&D on it, we knew that that was going to hit. We didn't know what the consumer was going to think about doing it. I mean, we asked them in focus groups and and it looked like it was going to work. But once it got into the market, we heard the same exact thing you just said over and over and over again. And we kind of equated to the old case study that they would teach us in business school where, and I actually have never validated this to know if it's true or not, but it was the Betty Crocker cake mix analogy where Betty Crocker come out with a cake mix where you could just add water and then bake the cake and it didn't do very well, they actually altered the formula to where you had to add an egg. And the consumer felt like, wow, I'm, I'm participating in making this cake. Mm-hmm. And the product did much better. But they, to your point, people want to be involved in the cooking process. They just don't want to be so involved that it's taking them too long and they can't get dinner on the table in time. Exactly. Or like you need so many ingredients or anything like that. It's already there, but you feel like you actually cooked something instead of, you know, just being lazy and throwing something (laughs) in a microwave. I really like it for that. And I know you said, I mean, you said you learned something at business school. So I'm assuming you went to business school. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Like, did you know that you wanted to start a company one day? You just didn't know what? You know, it was always in the back of my mind. I actually got my start in advertising. So if you would ask me right out of, because I studied marketing, I loved advertising and marketing and all things branding. So after school, I thought I would be on that path forever and ever. And then once I had some exposure to the food business, that that changed everything for me. After I got involved with the supermarkets, I knew that food was where I was going to be. I had this kind of lay uh, nutrition kind of background just because of what I was doing for myself, my own eating habits. And then getting exposure to this industry, it was just 
eye-opening just how much goes into producing, distributing, shipping, selling, and getting the food on the table that we eat. That was like a huge eye-opening kind of uh, aha moment for me that I knew once I got into that business, I'd be in the food business forever. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know that the path was going to take me here. And this was kind of like a dream come true. All the stars aligned and the market needed the products. and, And here we are. Yeah. And I know you said that you have done a lot of focus groups. Mm -hmm. How do you get random people to do focus groups for you? So I know most businesses, I always tell people before you start anything, talk to as many potential users as possible. Talk to Mm -hmm. as many people in that industry, you know, do focus groups like that. But I feel like it's hard to get people to willingly, you know, give you time. And also, especially for you, you have to have them like try the food. So you have to get them physically there, not just like a Zoom call. So how did you do that? What's the key to like a success? focus group. So what I want to do, I'll compare and contrast like in marketing when I was started in advertising and we would work on accounts that had massive budgets, a traditional focus group, you'd hire a research firm and you'd pay them thousands of dollars. They would go do the recruiting. You'd sit behind two-way glass. There'd be a trained moderator doing the focus group and they would publish a whole report at the end of it. That's a whole business. As a startup, we never once did a focus group like that. The way we would do them is because uh, we had time and we were already burning money on ideas. And so we wanted to take the research in-house. And so uh, what we would do is we would literally either first off, it started out with, okay, get friends and family and bring them in here and, and get used to doing this. So we would bring our friends together. It's not a simple random sample, but we would just get used to the act of doing a focus group. We'd give them the prototype products, cook with them, practice moderating, not controlling and steering the conversation, but keeping things on track. Then we would start going to the prospective stores that we'd want to sell to. And we'd stand out in front of the store and we would have folks saying, hey, if you'd like to participate, we're doing this event. You'll get a free dinner. We're also going to give you a $50 gift card. And we would just get out there and recruit that way. And then we'd make the focus groups fun. So when the folks come, we're serving wine and whatever they want to drink, and they're making a delicious meal they're proud of, they're posting on Instagram, and we would make it controlled and we'd make sure we'd get the information we wanted out of it, but it would be a fun experience. So then we had a base of people that we wanted to invite them back to another group. We wanted them to fill out a follow-up survey that we sent them. We'd have that happening, but ultimately we just had to get out there, hit the streets and have conversations that weren't uh, necessarily comfortable for us. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, going up to a perfect stranger and asking them, you know, explaining, Hey, we're trying to start this brand and do something that we feel like is really noble and exciting. You want to be a part of this ended up being great. Now, today, now that we're bigger, we have thousands of folks on a uh, email list and we're able to send out and pull from our own online community now. And that way we can control the demographics and the geography and things a little bit easier, which is nice. And then we've actually done some paid research as we've gotten bigger as well. So it's, it's kind of evolved. With the focus groups, when you first started, how did they influence what the product is now? Like, did it change a lot from your original idea to what we see now in grocery stores? Oh, for sure. I mean, the original idea is it was going to be a raw product, raw cut meat. I mean, we hadn't even hit sous vide yet when we started testing these ideas. Focus groups in general uncovered pretty much everything. After we had the initial idea of the general market wants to eat healthy, but they're struggling to pull it off. Okay, then from there, it was like a blank canvas. Let's start talking to people. And uh, we knew we had certain capabilities. You know, we knew we could process meat. Dan had a background in that and sauces. And so we had some tools to play with, but we didn't even have the product yet. And so it came out of focus groups. 
we had this one participant, I'll never forget. And we were in this focus group. It was kind of this monumental moment where we were having the participants pan sear the raw chicken breast and then add the sauce. And this participant, she was just like, man, I don't know. Is it time to add the sauce? Is it, How do I know it's going to be done? She was so stressed about this chicken. And finally, everything, it was like a mic drop. She's like, can you just cook the chicken for me? <laughs> and so that like, we said, well, maybe, maybe we can. Is there a way where we can make them still participate in the cooking process and still, you know, achieve the quality we want while cooking the chicken. Then we started hunting and that led to sous vide. So everything down to the product format started in those focus groups. The name came out of the focus group, like the idea behind, hey, why are you even, you know, a, a participant asked us, why are you even wanting to do this? And we would tell the story. And and then, you know, Dan originally had the idea like, hey, we should call it Kevin's. And then we would test that in the focus groups. And folks were explaining to us that they wanted to know who was behind the food, this whole idea of authenticity and not just this kind of big food company. They didn't know who it was or why they were doing it. That came out of the focus groups. Yeah, no, I mean, also, when I found out about Kevin's, like about your product, and when I first tried it, my mom explained the story like that was the first was like this guy, he had this autoimmune disease. And because my sister has Crohn's disease. So she's was like looking for food for her and that's how she also stumbled upon it so because of that she like first told me her story and then told me like oh and the food's really really good you know but that was the first thing so I totally agree that knowing where your food is coming from it's, it doesn't feel like it's a like craft or you know whatever other like big conglomerate like it feels like oh this one guy made this and is now selling it at this grocery store and it's really good and easy and healthy and it feels more local which just feels healthier also so I definitely agree I mean that was the first thing she told me when she discovered your product yeah you know we knew that people were wanting to connect with brands more and more on a personal level this was you know kind of after social media started taking in a big way we were really working on this and brands were more accessible than they were ever before but it really opened my eyes i've heard from hundreds of people since we started this thing and how the stories resonated with them or just that they appreciate knowing who's behind the products and one thing i think that's important is it it really is you know you kind of get what you see here. (laughs) We're just like 250 people that work in the business every day are really passionate about nutrition or really, we work really hard and we care a lot about the products we make. And it kind of is what we're saying it is. We're just coming to work every day, trying to put out a good product. It's hopefully making a dent in this kind of demand that's out there right now. I just want to make sure that at this point as a society, we don't, we have this demand and that's like a precious thing. There's this People mm-hmm. want to eat better. And every day we come to work and go, all right, how do we make sure as a society we don't squander this demand? Because people lose their nerve after a while of not being able to pull it off. You know, what could we do? What products could we make to kind of support this? So if we could write the, you know, write the headlines in 10 years, we're hoping that, you know, we're hearing something like, gosh, around that pandemic time frame, there is this newfound awareness for overall health and wellness and in the role food could play in well-being. And the food manufacturers got on board around that time. And we saw a lot of interesting products get rolled out. And, and then we started to see rates of obesity and diabetes and coronary artery disease reverse or flatten or decline. All right. So that can't be mm-hmm. the headline. Maybe that's in the article. <laughs> Explain <laughs> what's happening. But that's what we That's the yeah. subtitle. That's yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Maybe paragraph one. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think what you're doing is great. It is helping a lot of people and it's making it easier to choose a healthy option, which I think is hard to find. You know, it's easy to go to a drive through or, you know, go somewhere quick or pop a frozen meal in the oven or in the microwave. Mm -hmm. But I think you're just making it easier to eat healthy, which is exactly what you tried to do. Yeah, that's the goal. 
That's the goal. So now the name of the game is, all right, we have this foundation of products and then how do we uh, methodically build from there and continue mm-hmm. to expand and, and create more products that make it even easier and, and provide more variety and continue to expand in a really thoughtful way. Yeah. What is the process of coming out with new meals or what is the process of coming out with a new product? Right now, it's all the same. You know, the you put it on the stove, you add the sauce, like that's all of your products or have you expanded from there? We've expanded a bit. So we started with the chicken entrees where it was the sous vide chicken paired with the sauce. Then we expanded that menu to carry. We have uh, 12 different options now. So a lot of chicken entrees. Then we moved into and we launched grass-fed, grass-finished beef entrees. So same format. Mm-hmm. Big deal for us to learn how to source the top sirloin and trim it perfectly and essentially do the same thing you do with chicken with beef. Beef is a whole different animal and it's just is uh, more difficult to work with. But we got that down and kind of relaunched that program this year. And we're really excited about that because that product is eating so well and customers are so excited to have this beef option. So within that format, um, we've expanded the protein offerings. But in terms of other categories, now we've leaped into heat meat sides. And so those are, you know, you got things like mashed cauliflower, mashed sweet potatoes, a cauliflower based macaroni and cheese. And we've been able to do some, even we even took like a mashed potato and made a traditional mashed potato with just five ingredients. So it was a lot cleaner than what you'd see out in the marketplace. And those are all ready in two to three minutes in the microwave. And so now that helps round out the meal. And then the latest thing, we've moved into these complete pasta entrees now, where if you go to Sprouts or ShopRite or soon to be Target, you'll be able to find these complete entrees where you have the meat, you have the sauce. And then now we have some par-cooked, gluten-free, cauliflower-based pasta that you add right to the pan so you could have that complete meal in five minutes. So we've been kind of in that same zone where we're utilizing kettles to create sauce and mashed potatoes and kind of like anything you'd be able to make in a pan on your kitchen. And then this sous vide technology to do things like vegetables and meats on the side and expand the assortment. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually, now that I think about it, I have had the cauliflower mashed potatoes, so I did know that it was expanded from there. But do you still do the same process of you have focus groups for all of the entrees that you're thinking of putting out? Or what's your process of coming out with these new items? 99% of the time, what happens is our customers pull us into a new category. And it's usually through focus groups. So we'll be having focus groups about something else. Say we're talking to people about beef and they're asking for a side dish or we, because a lot of the time the question's open-ended and we get people talking about how they're using the products. What do you pair on the side with this? Well, I do this, but gosh, it sure be great if you made a mashed cauliflower because I hate steaming the cauliflower and then pureeing it with the immersion blender. And it's a lot of work. Could you guys do that? Sure. I can figure that out. And the ideas kind of spark from there. The other big player in the development space is our retail partners. We have a lot of really, really close retail partnerships. And these supermarkets have a pulse on the demand and they will come to the table with ideas and, and needs and unmet needs and, and share their feedback. And we've plucked some great ideas straight from retail. Took our first vegetable that we ever sous vide was because uh, Costco had asked for it. And that was a General So's cauliflower where we took sous vide cauliflower and paired it with a General So's sauce. And that product has done great. Wow. Yeah. No, that's really cool that you've developed this system of your customers now can kind of tell you exactly what they want and you just have to listen to them. And I want to talk about how you got into the hands of these customers. So obviously you've done your focus groups, but how did you get into stores like Target, Costco, Whole Foods? Did you go into them from the beginning or were you first direct to consumer and then you went to retailers? 
we're a little unique in that we actually started at retail and added direct to consumer later after we already had a big retail footprint. And it helps that both Dan and I had experience at retail and we knew what to expect and what was necessary. We still learn every day. I mean, it's, it's evolving, but we knew how to get our foot in the door. And, you know, the way that process works is first off, you have to have your offering and you have to have that buttoned up. You have to have the ability to produce, whether you're manufacturing yourself or you have a co-packer, you have to have all your costs dialed in. You have to have at least prototype packaging, understand what your capacity is, how many locations at a retailer could you support based on what the projected sell through is going to be. And you have to kind of do that math. So that way you can go to a retailer and tell your story, share the products, let them know what the price would be to them, what the lead times would be, and how many locations you feel you could support. And you just kind of have to have your act together. Then the next step is to get the meeting. And in order to get the meeting, you could call on these retailers directly. A lot of the time, it makes sense to use a broker, engage a broker that already has a relationship and is interested in representing you for a percentage of the sales. You negotiate that get a meeting with the retailer and you get in there and you pitch your heart out and tell them what you've done, why you did it, feed them the product. And um, hopefully the story resonates. And the key is just get that first test. And once you get the test, I'll never forget, we outsold our test. Projected sell-through was going to be X and we did 3X. You know, we tripled what they thought was going to happen in the test. So from there, the story became really easy because now we had a little bit of data, just enough data to go back and go, okay, the test went well, let me get more. You can go to other retailers and talk about your wins at that very first retailer that tipped the domino for you. And the last thing I'll say, and then I'm sure there's some follow-up on this stuff, but uh, the, you know, the food shows are so helpful for startup brands nowadays. You can go to Expo West or Fancy Food and in the food business uh, in particular. And there's going to be you know, hundreds of other brands there, but the buyers go to those shows to find the next best thing. So you get out there, you set up your booth and, and you work the booth and don't be the booth where you're sitting down and you know talking. <laughs> be the booth where you're in the aisles, forcing samples down people's throat and pushing your story on them. And you got to get out there and be aggressive at those shows to make sure that you're seen. Yeah, I feel like that's the key is, again, like that persistence and making sure that you don't give up because I feel like it's similar to maybe potentially like fundraising for a startup or something where you're going to hear a lot of rejection at first, but then you have to like keep telling your story and it will resonate with some people. Like, Did you have rejection at first or was it just an automatic yes from the very beginning or did you have to go back and redo something and then come back to them? Is that common in the food industry or do you just really have one chance and that's it? If you have something... And you have, even if it's just a concept, there are retailers out there that'll give you constructive feedback and let you come back and and have another at bat. You know, we had a lot of that. By the time Dan and I had about a five year runway before Kevin's where we were working on a meal kit concept before the aha moment came and, and we came up with Kevin's. And with that particular concept, we had you know, heard everything under the sun. It was, it had some traction and it had a lot of good things and we were in 3000 plus stores and things were happening with it, but we'd learned a lot. So by the time I had the confidence to really get behind, you know, a new brand in food manufacturing and kind of bring this thought to the table behind health and and really embracing that and diving in head over heels, I had learned so much in that past five years. So by the time Kevin's was ready and we were taking it to the buyers, I knew the landmines, you know, so everything Mm -hmm. was so thought through because I had already been through it before that it was just 
uh, it was a lot of yes after that. It was just yeses. We heard no a couple of times, but not very often. But if you were to rewind and look at the five years leading up to that, I heard everything under the sun. Hey, you should do this size. This We need this shelf life. We need this case pack. Anything you, this cost is where we want to be. Anything you could think of, you're going to hear it. And they'll give you another chance if you're good to work with and you're thinking things through and, and you have good ideas. Mm-hmm. So before you were working on another kind of idea. When did you realize that that idea wasn't going to work and you shifted to Kevin's? We had the idea for Kevin's and we were still doing the meal kits. And we decided I was going to split off and really focus on this Kevin's line and on the sales side. And we got out there and I remember at the first Expo East, we actually had a split booth. We were selling our meal kits and we were selling Kevin's. And after the third customer committed to Kevin's, it was just clear that this was off to the races and we we needed to focus on this. The meal kits were gaining traction and, and they were, you know, everything was pointing in the right direction, but just at a drastically slower pace than what we were seeing with Kevin. So then we had a, a 50,000 square foot production facility and we needed every inch of space. So that's when we said, all right, we're going to close up shop on the meal kits and focus 100% of our resources towards Kevin's brand. Got it. And what does a typical day in your life look like as the founder of this company? So I know every day is probably different, but can you kind of walk us through what your typical day looks like? Yeah, sure. You know, we've divided this company up among the founders. There's three of us and we have kind of like the front of the house and the back of the house and what, and that works really well for us. So Dan kind of takes operations and manufacturing. And we have another founder, Kelsey, who's over uh, marketing because it's a very marketing intensive brand. And then I'm over sales and demand planning and, you know, anything coming down the pipeline and develop. And then uh, Dan and I are both involved. All the founders are involved in the development side of things. So the majority of my time is in the sales arena, development arena, and demand planning. So I'll wake up in the morning, I'll get to work and I'm getting reports from the sales team, watching the numbers, how are things going? Typically there's a, you know, one to three hours of meetings related to sales, whether it's status from the sales managers throughout the country or new business opportunities, broker updates. And then a uh, couple days a week, we'll have cuttings where we're trying new products and refining concepts and flavors. We do organoleptic cuttings just on the current food we make. And so a couple of days a week, we're eating. It's kind of funny. We we eat the old food. You know, We let the food get really, really old. And we all sit around and make sure that everything's maintaining shelf life. That's the fun meeting. We're eating 70-day-old chicken just to make sure. And um, Has anyone gotten sick? No, <laughs> no. No, it's all very safe. And, you know, if, if something's bad, you know it. We're good at the sniff test. Once you get to day 90 on a chicken breast, you know, it's probably time to toss that one out. And so we, you know, in addition to the labs and stuff, we'll do that. And then it's just projects. It's just what uh, you have all the routine activity, you know, your forecasting meetings, uh, development meetings, a check-in with ops and, and how, are, how are things going at the plant. A couple of days a week in the manufacturing facility, working with the teams there. And then from there, there's just, there's always something in the works, whether it's new product. We just recently finished our B Corp uh, certification. And that was a big deal for us. That's, it gives us, it just shows that we're operating how we want to be operating from a sustainability standpoint and the way we're treating our people and things. So it was a good kind of outside view of uh, invalidation on what's going on. So projects like that that are coming up and we're doing in addition to the routine day-to-day activities. 
Yeah. Well, I'm very excited for, you know, what's coming next. And I loved hearing the more the behind the scenes of the business because I'm a founder myself as well. It's a app. So it's a tech startup. So very different than food. But I still love talking, connecting with other founders and just hearing more of the day to day and just hearing the story because everyone's is so different. Yeah, for sure. No, no, no one company is alike. And for us, a big part of it now as we grow is just making sure that, um, you know, we're bringing on more people up to 250 plus people now. And it's the culture from this startup. You know, you have a culture and it's something that's very important to you. And internally ours is it's humble and hungry. That's what we want. That's what we want people to describe our company. And we want to bring in the folks that are kind of aligned with that. So there's a lot of work now is just maintaining that culture and making sure that as we grow, we don't, we don't lose that. Yeah. Well, I loved hearing your story, loved hearing the behind the scenes. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Where can they shop and find Kevin's and eat Kevin's? And then where can they find you? My pleasure. First off, thank you so much for having me. And then if you go to kevinsnaturalfoods.com, we have a store locator on the site. We're in uh, the majority of the stores across the country. You know, a lot of the big national ones are a safe bet like Target and Whole Foods and Walmart and then your your local supermarkets as well, uh, Publix and other big ones. But best thing to do, go to the website, check out the store locator. It'll tell you the exact products that are at your location, whatever stores are around you. So it's a really cool app. And then there you could also get links to all our social media. I recommend signing up for our email list. That way you're in touch with us if we're ever doing focus groups or when we're launching new products, you'll definitely hear about it on email. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the mom room podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood. Hey, my name is Lovon Roomf and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here. And vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.